This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Matthew chapter 27, and we are in, in the fourth message of today's series, and that is, I'm speaking this morning on the words of anguish. If you did not get a bulletin when you came in the door, we want to make sure you have one of these. And uh, I encourage you to keep them because they're good reference tools. You can go back and reread what we have covered in the service when you get home, restudy some of these scriptures. Not all the scriptures I'm going to be talking about today is on the bulletin, and so you probably will want to add some on there as we reference it. But again, we're talking about this morning the words of anguish. This is the fourth time that Jesus spoke on the cross, and that's the name of the series when he spoke down here in the front, Brother Gregory, all the way over here to your left, there's some three or four that need a copy of that. We thank you for being diligent with that. Now, if you look with me in Matthew chapter 27, I want to call your attention to verse number 39. The Bible says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest, mocking him, with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And that's about three o'clock in the afternoon, by the way. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sapnani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The words that Jesus spoke from the cross this fourth time seems to stagger our imaginations. And if you're willing to baptize yourself, so to speak, into the scripture, it ought to do that. When I read this passage of scripture, it seems as though a deep, cold chill comes over me. It penetrates almost to my soul when I think about these words. What Jesus said here for the fourth time, if you're not aware of this already, this is a messianic passage of scripture. It goes back to a prophecy recorded in Psalms chapter 22. I want you to see this. Because this reference this morning, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It can go all the way back to Psalms 22, the prophecy here. This is a prophecy of this stage of the cross. And this scripture here, it looks forward to the work of Jesus on the cross. The people of the Old Testament who were counted as righteous by faith they looked forward to the cross. They believed that Jesus, the Messiah, 
the Messiah would come. Let me say this, that he would die on the cross. That's why the prophet Isaiah said this 750 years before Jesus was ever born, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. 750 years, the prophet said he was coming, he would die. So this psalm right here is a messianic psalm going all the way back to the Old Testament. And now we find Jesus hanging on the cross, speaking the words of Psalms 22. I want you to think about this. The word of God says in Psalms chapter 22, verse number one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from me? From helping and from the words of my roaring. Psalms chapter 22. In fact, I would encourage you when you're in Matthew to write this scripture down in the reference mark of your Bible. You can go back and reread it again. In one way, here's the thing that I want you to understand, that when Jesus spoke these particular words, he was experiencing an emotion, an element of the horror of hell. This is something that I pray that you would just wrap yourself around and embrace because when Jesus spoke these words, he was totally forsaken by God. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment because one day in eternity, and there are millions of people in hell right now who will have no other chance to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They are going to be condemned to hell forever. And that means forsaken by God forever. That staggers the imagination to be abandoned, to be forsaken by God forever. When Jesus was dying on the cross, at this point, at this element, he experienced the abandonment of God. And as we reflect on these pages of scripture this morning that describes the final hours of the Lord's earthly ministry, we see him on the cross. We see him as the innocent, spotless lamb of God. We see him with the sentence of condemnation. We see him, the guiltless, who after six illegal trials during the middle of the night, now they have condemned him as guilty. We see the perfect, spotless lamb of God now being persecuted, we see the faultless one, the sinless one now being accused. And the one that is so holy and so pure, we see him carrying and bearing the weight of the world, the weight of sin for the world upon his shoulders. You have to remember something, that when Jesus is at this point of the cross, he's taking all of our sin, he's taking all of our shame, he's taking our rebellion, he's taking our blasphemies, he's taking our dishonesties, he's taking our immoralities, he's taking our pain, he's taking our wicked imaginations, everything that you can imagine in your soul that is evil and wicked. The Lord Jesus Christ is carrying that, he's consumed with that upon his shoulders, the word says. And in the midst of all of that, the very person that he needed the most at this critical time had turned his back and covered his eyes. 
At this moment right here, Jesus didn't need Peter, James, and John. In this moment when he spoke these words, he did not need his mother Mary. When Jesus got to this part of the cross, when he speaks for the fourth time, he needed the only one who had turned his eyes, who had abandoned him. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that this stage of the cross hurt Jesus more than anything that they had already done to him. Now, you think about it just for a moment. You think about the nails that they pierced his hands with and the nails that they pierced his feet with. You think about the crown of thorns that they embedded into his brow two inches long until it penetrated the bone of his skull. You think about the cat of nine tails that whipped the flesh off of his back. They had plucked his beard. He has human spittle dripping off of his chin. But all of that put together is a small thing compared to the point and place where Jesus is right now. The only one that could help him, the only one that could reach down to him, chose not to do it. And as Jesus spoke for the fourth time, his words almost seem uncomprehendable. But I believe these mysterious words would ultimately be explained by God himself. Let's look at them again. Notice verse number 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sablachni. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And by the way, let me point out something to you. This is the only time in the scripture when Jesus prayed, he did not say father. He did not reference father. Do you remember when Jesus was 12 years old and the family had been busy in Jerusalem it was time to leave and Mary and Joseph got in the caravan and shortly thereafter they realized that Jesus wasn't in the crowd. They begin to panic and worry. They go back to Jerusalem and there they find Jesus in the temple and the word says that he's teaching the doctors and the lawyers and the scribes and Mary comes in and let me paraphrase this for you a little bit. She says, what are you doing? We have frantically been looking for you. And Jesus said, do you not know, do you not realize that I must be about my father's business? You can find Jesus a little later teaching his disciples later on in life, teaching them to pray. And Jesus said this, when you pray, you pray like this, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A little further down the road, you find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying three times. The word says as he begins to perspire, great drops of blood. And he says, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. In many instances, Jesus referred to God as the Father. But now, in this agonizing point and place of Calvary, he cries, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And what an anguishing question he asked. Perhaps somebody in this auditorium right now, and if you're watching today and your soul is just ripped apart with anguish of some kind, maybe this morning you have been forsaken in some way or another and you're experiencing the heartbreak of that right now. Maybe somebody in this auditorium, you've been forsaken maybe years ago by a spouse or maybe even recently. Maybe you've been forsaken by a friend. Maybe for some reason you feel that you have been forsaken with good health, that God has just overlooked you and allowed calamity to come your way. Listen carefully, being forsaken in any kind, in any shape or form, can bring agonizing pain to us, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or physically. When we feel forsaken, it does something to turn our world upside down. But I believe that a man who feels forsaken by God has experienced the worst kind of being forsaken as it is possible. Listen carefully. Wouldn't it be a horrible thought if we thought just for a moment that we could get ourselves in such a mess, we could get ourselves in such a rut, we could get ourselves so far away from God, wouldn't it be a terrible thing to believe or to think that we have got ourselves in such a mess that God has totally abandoned us, that God has totally forsaken us, that God has scratched our name out of the book of life. What a nightmare that thought would be. But can you imagine what it would be like one day if, if you cried out to him in your desperation and you heard nothing back? Now, the word of God says this in Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse number three. The word says, call unto me and I will answer you. I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. But suppose you got yourself in a place in life where for whatever reason, there was a broken space of fellowship and you turned to God, just like the prodigal son. You remember him? He was in the, in the hog pit. Suppose you got to a place in life where you drifted so far and you realized where you were, what you were doing, and you felt like, hey, this is my day. This is a day for me to return back to the Father. And you begin to pour your heart out to God. You cried out to him. And what if God didn't answer Think about that just for a moment. Suppose he didn't. Suppose he wasn't there. Suppose he couldn't be found. For a few moments, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, that is exactly what he experienced. Taking all of the sin and the shame upon him, crying out this fourth time, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cannot even imagine the thought. Here's what we need to remember. Jesus had been with the Father from all eternity past. In eternity past, he had been the object of the Father's affection and love. Think with me just for a moment. The Father's home was his home. The Father's presence was his presence. The Father's bosom was his bosom. The Father's dwelling place was his dwelling place. The Father's glory was his glory. From the beginning... They had shared everything together. They had made everything together. Nothing was ever between them. From the beginning, during the Lord's 33 and a half years of life on this earth, the word of God says that they had unbroken communion. They were never apart. They were never out of fellowship. They were never out of harmony. And now, for the first time ever, 
Jesus is being forsaken by the Father. The fellowship is broken. This is interesting because on a number of occasions, especially when Jesus was being baptized in the River Jordan, do you remember what happened? The Bible says the heavens opened up and there was a voice from heaven. And the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember that? On this day, there was no voice from heaven. On this day when Jesus was crying these words, why have you forsaken me? On this day, God did not send an angel to encourage him. On this day when God looked down at Jesus and he was hanging on the cross, when Jesus spoke these words, the Bible says God the Father turned away. No voice from heaven, no angel to his rescue. The disciples had all fled. And you step back and you read these pages of scripture and you know that Jesus was doing exactly what the Father had sent him to the earth to do. He was paying the price of redemption. He was fulfilling the reason in which he came. And by the way, listen, Jesus did not come so that people would write songs about him and great poetry about him. Jesus didn't come that he might be a famous man in the archives of history. Jesus came for one purpose. The Bible says in the gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, that the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. No other reason but to save the lost. I'm glad he found me lost. I'm glad he reached down for me one day. How about you? Do you know the Lord? Are you glad that he reached down for you? He was doing the Father's will only to be forsaken, only to be abandoned. But the important thing we need to remember is this, that if God, which he did, God knew in the beginning of the beginning that the day would come when he would create man in his likeness and in his own image, because God's omniscient, he knows all things. God knew that when he created man and placed him in the garden, God knew that one day this human creation would disobey him, would rebel against him, would fall in transgression. And because of that, God knew before he even molded and shaped Adam into his own likeness and image and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, God knew that when he did this, the only thing that could save mankind, the only thing that could bring redemption was that God would turn to his son and he would say, listen, when I do this, the clock is ticking and you're going to have to go and die for him. You're going to have to shed your blood for him. Listen, God not only knew before he created man that man was going to fall, man was destined to fall, man could not make it on his own. God knew that he would have to send his son Jesus to die on the cross, but God also knew this, that if he created man and that his son would have to die for man, God also knew that there would come a time in that process when he would have to abandon him, when he would have to forsake him, when he could not look upon us. So you think about this all the way back in the beginning of the beginning. Somebody asked me a long time ago, when did God begin? He's always been. Where did God come from? Anywhere he wanted to because he's God, right? God knew in the very beginning of the beginning 
of the beginning because God has always been. That when he reached down in the dust and breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, making him a living soul, that Jesus would have to die and that he would have to turn his back on his son. But here's the thing. Because God loved us so much, God was willing to put Jesus through all of that. God was willing to allow Jesus to go through all of the pain and all of the suffering. But it wasn't just putting Jesus through that experience. You have to remember that God had to experience forsaking his son. So when you think about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you think about this, Jesus had to die. There was no other way. And you think about this, he had to go through the barbaric crucifixion. There was no other way. But he also had to be abandoned by the father. You see, God allowed Jesus to go through what he went through and God was willing to go through what he went through. He put that all together for you and me. that we could live and have life more abundantly. I spent some time thinking about this. Listen carefully, because I want you to get the full magnitude of this. In the days of old, God never forsook his people. He constantly was giving the people the assurance of his presence, always. You say, well, there were times, preacher, in Egyptian captivity where it seemed as though God had abandoned it. It might have seemed what it seemed, but God never forsook them. He was always there. He assured them that he was near. I'm talking about when the flood came upon the earth. Noah could look around everywhere inside of the ark and see the protecting hand of God. I'm telling you today that when the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, when they were facing the Red Sea, they saw God parting the water. In the wilderness, they saw him in a cloud by day and guided by a fire by night. On Mount Carmel, Elijah saw God in the fire falling from heaven, in the fiery furnace, the three Hebrew children saw the fourth man in the fire. In the lion's den, Daniel saw God in the gentleness of the lion. God never forsook his people. And think about this. God's word has promised me and he's promised you. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number five, the word says, let your conversation be without covetedness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, God said, listen now, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But here on the cross, I want you to think about this. God never forsook his people. God has never forsaken you and I. But on the cross, God forsook his only begotten son. He had never done something like that ever before. He turned his back on the Savior. And when Jesus spoke these words, I believe it was a greater cry than any cry that had ever gone up to God. Father, forgive them is what he said first. He spoke to the thief and he said, this day, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third time he spoke to his mother, he said, woman, behold thy son. And now the fourth time he speaks, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a cry I believe that ought to make the whole earth tremble, our soul anyway. I want you to see quickly now six things that I jotted down. I believe they're soul searching things and I want you to think about it with me for the next few moments. What do I see in these words? 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do I see in these words? Number one, I see the awfulness of sin. You know, it's amazing how people no longer consider sin to be sin anymore. It seems like every day we live, we, we are being taught in some way or another that things are not just as bad as they used to be. And it seems like that we're, we're trying to, when we move around tolerate, we, we come to this thing of accept, and then we come to the thing of lifestyle, and then we come to the thing of compromise. But here's the thing that I want you to know when it comes to sin, don't ever forget this. If God ever called anything in the Bible sin back in the day when it was written, he still calls it sin today. And if Jesus tarries his coming, which I'm looking for him, like Brother Danny said in Sunday school this morning, I'm looking for the Lord Jesus to come at any moment. I believe his coming is imminent. I don't know the day. I don't know the time. I don't know the hour. I don't know where I will be. But one thing I do know is that he said if he went, he would come again. And God cannot lie. We have the promise of scripture that he's coming again. Can somebody say amen? And I will tell you this, if it was ever wrote in the word that it was sin when it was written in the Holy Scriptures, it is still sin today. And if Jesus tarries is coming for another 200 years, it will still be sin 200 years from now as it is from now and as it was in the beginning. We have to understand this. We see the awfulness of it. We're living in a world and a society today where it's just being thrown down our throats in every conceivable way. We need to remember that though we may somehow get used to things the way they are today, God has never changed an ounce of his mind about it. God despises sin. We need to understand the price of it. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it not only brought about physical death, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But it was a spiritual application. This thing about the wages of sin is death. This death is an eternal separation from God. There's a huge premium on it. And it's so sad that most people today don't find out about the true horrors of sin until it's too late. God turned his back on Jesus because of sin. Secondly, we see the absolute holiness and inflexible justice of God. Here's the thing, God can never and will never excuse sin. He never will. He can never be flexible with it. Understand this, we might be living in 2021, but God is never ever going to get to a place where he reconsiders whether or not it's good or bad. God already knows. Amen? God already knows. God can never compromise with it. The only thing that God can do with sin, he can only do one or two things with sin. He can judge it or he can forgive it. But he cannot change it. He cannot rearrange it. He cannot make it what it is to be something else. And I think today one of the reasons that we're so callous in this thing is because we're losing the importance of the holiness of God. Do you know that when the writers of the Old Testament were writing the scriptures, when they ever came to a place where they would write out the name Jehovah, the Bible teaches us now, you think about this, and historic, because how reverent is his name, how holy is his name. But we're taught 
historically as well that when the writers of the Old Testament got to the place where they would actually write down the name Jehovah, they would lay their pen down. Think about this. And they would go and bathe. They would come back and pick up the pen. And whether it was in the next verse or the next verse, they would bathe every time they wrote the name Jehovah. This is how serious they took it on the cross. God could not look into the blood-stained eyes of his own son. And this broke the heart of Jesus. There's no doubt he uttered these words in the complete devastation. It's a question that no one at the cross could answer. No one at the cross, Mary and her sister, John eventually came back, but no one could answer it. John couldn't do it. Mary couldn't do it. Jesus was forsaken by God as he was enduring sin's terrible judgment. At the cross, God's justice was satisfied and his holiness was vindicated. I want you to see number three real quickly here. We see the explanation of Gethsemane. In the infancy of Jesus, he suffered at the hands, think with me now, in the infancy, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, he suffered in the hands of angry, wicked men. You remember when Herod tried to kill him? Not only that, but in his earthly ministry, he suffered at the hands of Satan. You remember the wilderness temptation? You remember all the experiences Satan was trying to do? A create or entice Jesus to do. So you think about it. In his birth, he was persecuted by the hands of evil, wicked men. In his ministry, he was persecuted by the wicked, evil hands of Satan himself. But on the cross, when he speaks this fourth time, he's suffering in the hands of God. Jesus knew that the crucifixion would be a part, there would be an element in the crucifixion of separation. In Matthew chapter 26, I want you to see this in verse number 36 through 39. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26. Just turn the page a little bit. You're already there. And I want you to see this in verse number 39, or 36 and 39. Then cometh Jesus unto them, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And verse 39 says, And he went a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O my father, If it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou. Now, I want you to understand from a human perspective, Jesus knew that he was going to be facing the barbaric cruelty of the cross. But Jesus also knew that he was going to be forsaken by the Father. And there was no doubt that this was the greatest weight of his earthly ministry. When he prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times, and I want you to get this. I want you to hold on to it in your heart. Jesus, and you have to listen carefully. Those of you that are watching today by internet, don't judge this until you hear the final statement. Listen very carefully. Jesus is not your best way to heaven. He's not your good way to heaven. He's not the alternate way to heaven. He is your only way to heaven. That cannot be changed. 
changed. He said, I am the way, not the best way, not the good way, not a better way, not an alternate way. And for these people today that are building denominations and doctrines upon the fact that there's more than one way to heaven, you write them off as heretics. I'm telling you right now that if you're going to go to heaven, it is going to be through Jesus Christ. It is going to be through his shed blood. It's going to be because of his resurrection, not because of what any man can do, but what God did through his son on the cross. Amen. I want you to see this real quickly. Point number four, we see the Savior's unsevering fidelity to God because in spite of this horrific phase of the cross, Jesus never one time lost confidence in God. This cry is not a, it, it could be classified as a cry of distress, but it's not a cry of distrust. I want you to think about that. And that ought to make us ashamed of ourselves. When we think about this just for a minute, because what does it take to get you discouraged? What does it take for you to throw your hands up and quit on God? What does it take? It ought to make us ashamed of ourselves when we think how little, just how little things can ruffle us to some degree to where we throw our hands up and walk away from the Savior. I I love this old song that says, uh, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. It goes on to say, I will cling to the old rugged cross. Listen to this. Some people will cling to the old rugged cross every day as long as it doesn't include a sacrifice, as long as it doesn't include a heartache, as long as it doesn't include a struggle or broken dreams. Listen carefully. If the cross was only a piece of jewelry, if it was just a picture on the wall, if it was just a steeple on the church house, people can deal with that. But I'm telling you this, taking up the cross and going through sacrifices and troubles and heartaches and just say, Jesus, Savior, keep me near the cross. That's another thing altogether. We can praise God on the mountain real good, but we've got to learn how to still keep our eyes on Jesus in the valley as well. I want you to see this number five real quickly. We see the basis of our salvation. We don't have to pay money to be saved. We don't have to work to be saved. We don't have to go to the Holy Land and climb holy mountains to be saved. It was real simple. God required the shedding of his blood. In fact, I want you to see this in Hebrews 9.22. God required, this is the basis of our salvation. While you're turning to Hebrews 9.22, there's a verse of scripture in the book of Titus that says, not of work of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Look at this, Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood, look at this, is no remission. God is holy and God cannot look upon sin. He will judge it whenever it's found. He will forgive it whenever you ask forgiveness. You have a scripture for that preacher? Absolutely. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad that when, whenever I sin or whenever you sin and we call out to God, I'm thankful that he's there. When we call out to him and say, God, I have sinned and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I, aren't you glad today that God doesn't kick you to the curb and say, man, you really messed it up this time. I don't want to have anything else to do for you. I'm telling you today that when we confess our sin, we recognize that we get down in front of a holy God and say, I'm sorry. 
Forgive me, Lord. He will just open up that fountain filled with blood. He will cover you as far as the east is from the west. He'll put your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. Thank God. He is always there when we need him. Somebody say amen. The blood is the basis of our salvation. I want you to see the scripture in Ephesians chapter five, verse number two. He hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. You see, the reason why God can deal with me, the reason why God can deal with you is because of the blood. It's his own blood. The scripture says this in Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Number six, real quickly. I want our musicians to come. The last thing I see this morning is the evidence, the supreme evidence of Christ's love for us. And in John's gospel, chapter 15, verse number 13, the word says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He suffered for us. He was made sin for us. He was forsaken by God for us. He was separated for three hours on the cross for us. Listen carefully, when I think of what all Jesus has done for me, it kind of makes me ashamed of myself when I think and compare what little we do for him. He gave his hands to the cross. He gave his feet to the cross. He gave his head to a crown of thorns. He gave his side to a Roman spear. He gave his blood to the dirt of the ground. He gave his mother back to the disciples and he cried with a loud voice, it is finished and gave his spirit back to God. He gave everything he had for you and me that we could have eternal life and a home in heaven. I want you to think about this. Can you imagine just for a moment, millions upon millions of people who will spend eternity in hell. Not only, the Bible says, as far as a rich man goes in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. The Bible says that eternity in hell is an everlasting lake of fire. We, we get it. We get the, the torment side. But can you imagine spending eternity, and think about that word, forever, 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 forsaken and abandoned by God. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.